Dr. Veronica Anderson is an MD, and for her that means many dimensions. She's a surgeon, a mother, a black belt, and a two-time marathon runner here to talk to you about your health, your happiness, and your world. It's Wellness for the Real World with Dr. Veronica. Hey, welcome back to Wellness for the Real World. It's interesting, and I'm listening to the intro to my show. You have reached a non-working number at Intermountain Healthcare's Altaview Hospital. So, I'm hearing all kinds of technical issues and everything here. What's going on, Russell? You are, you are. Don't worry. All's well here. All's well there. What's going pretend on? Pretend nothing happened. Yes, I'll pretend nothing happened. But I want to say hello to everyone. Welcome back to Wellness Pretty Real World. I was saying I was getting some stress before the technical issues because I'm listening to the intro and they're saying she's a black belt and a marathoner. And there's two things in my queue right now I'll let you know. Number one is I am now a second degree recommended. It means that I can test for my second degree black belt. So on one hand, I'm excited about that. On the other hand, it's really nerve-wracking because you step up and on a certain day at a certain time, you have to perform. Um, And as a physician, you're used to performing a lot on the spot. And this is not necessarily something that's a big deal. But when you do things like martial arts, activities like martial arts, you work for them for several years. And then when it's time to progress to that next stage and go from the one to the two or the two to the three or from, you know, no black belt to a black belt, it's really a nerve-wracking big deal. And I always amaze myself with how nervous I am. When I'm stepping up to doing it, and I want to say to myself, how profoundly does this really matter? But I still get excited about it. <laughs> That's one. Number two, the marathon. I have been suffering from plantar fasciitis. My foot has been getting better. It's almost all gone. But I decided to sign up for another half marathon in September, so I started training for that. And so although it's about nine weeks away, I'm starting to get where Wow, I better really get it together. And I haven't ran over about six miles in about a year. So what's it going to feel like when I get that 10 and above? So this is what's going on in my list. Now let me just mention one other thing. My my uh, team and my implementers always get um, upset because they're, Dr. Veronica, you forgot to say this. I want to let you know that, we have had on Wellness for the Real World some advertising slots become available, a few. So I have people calling me and saying, we'd like to advertise on you, on your show. Yes, wonderful. I want great advertisers who want to get out health and wellness news. And so if you're interested in advertising on Wellness for the Real World, Send an email to advertise at drveronica.com, advertise at drveronica.com, because I want the audience to, even in the commercials, get good products and services. And guess what? When advertisers come to me, I have the right to yay and nay them. And so when just anybody comes... And I say I can say yay to them, but if I have great people who come and I use up all the advertising slots on great people, guess what? So some opened up 
AdvertiseAdrVeronica.com gets you on Wellness for the Real World. We have very favorable advertising packages because we want to get on entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur myself, and so we have all kinds of packages that are available um, that go from modest to wonderful, but Think about what it would be like to get in front of 40 million people worldwide every week. I do this. I talk. I don't even necessarily think about it. Last week, I actually told you guys that we have been going through a little family recession here. My husband had been laid off, um, and it, it, it's it's been an interesting experience in that you just kind of have to figure out, okay, now what do we do to regroup? And um, he had been laid off nine months ago. His company nine months ago just closed without notice one day. It was a very devastating experience for him at that time after working for a company for quite a long time and then walking away, no severance, no health insurance, no nothing, everything locked down, getting a new job. And now the, the recession is still here. Bernanke is saying it could get worse. The recession is still here. The company was struggling. But the reason why I'm talking about this again is because sometimes I feel like nobody's listening to me. And the next thing we know, one of our friends sends us, sends us a note and says, wow, I just heard on the show that you got laid off. So sometimes I lose track that people are listening. And thank you for all the tips people have given me. I've had friends send me the job hunting tips and all that type of stuff. I really appreciate that. Um Actually, because of this, though, something good is going to happen for the whole audience in that there are some people who are experts in this area. Because this this affects all of us, even if it's not affecting you personally, it's affecting a family member or a friend. I have some people who are experts in this area, not just job hunting, but if you want to start a business like this, where to get money from, that have come into my sphere and I've invited them onto the show. So we want to, we're going to do a show on getting your act back together if you want to become an entrepreneur or after a job law from people who are experts and know how to leap forward people's lives and careers. This is not just the Dr. Veronica advice. This is not just your doctor's advice. These are from people who this is what they do. They're experts and they have generated lots for themselves. And also these people are great because they specializing in helping other people be successful. I work with a group of people that they get pleasure out of helping other people be successful. And so I'm going to bring that to you on Wellness for the Real World, a little bit different from our health and wellness genre, but I think it's appropriate now since there are a lot of people out there still struggling. You know, when I hit a struggle in my life, I want to tell you about it. Now, let's talk about mental health right now. Now, I'm in New York City, and I walk around New York City, and let me just tell you, Man, there's some Looney Tune people here. <laughs> okay. Today I'm in Grand Central Station. Um, the guy comes walking up next to me at the table, talking to the woman. Hey, you think that food's good? Ugh. And then another lady comes just sort of skipping by, la, 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 kind of playing around with the other guy. Obviously, these people were in their own world. That's just like the guy that when I'm generally walking to the train a certain time in the morning, He's walking down the middle of the street with his really knotty hair and his glasses with one lens in and one lens out, kind of whirling around and talking to himself right in the middle of 116th Street. So mental illness is something that we all come in contact with one way or another. 
most of us will know somebody that's in the family or a close friend that has been through a mental disorder. Um, And some of them really, really interrupt your life. And there's others that what happens with them is the people who have them are so much fun that we like them when they're mentally ill, even though it's messing up their life. So we have a, an array of guests here who, I mean, one of the guests, I, I wanna, I'm going to do the introduction to this guest because I read about it, and, and I, I know I've read about him before because I remember the story because it just sounds like he was having a bang-up fun life. And it turns out he has bipolar disorder and he was crashing and burning. But guess what? When you get people who are bipolar and they're in the manic phase, they are the life of the party. Um, but then when they crash down, boy, do they crash down. Um, and, and they mess up their life and their world. They're spending like crazy. They're doing just everything like crazy. Employers can like these people a whole lot because they work and work and work and work, and they're creative and they're passionate. And this is what we like to see, wildly creative and passionate. So bipolar is one of those type of illnesses that a lot of people fail to recognize because they're not the people walking down in the center of the street with the knotty hair talking to themselves. They're usually the people who are exceedingly bright and talented, who have fabulous personalities and are the life of the party, and we don't necessarily realize that they're a little off balance because they're fun for us to be around. Now, one of the hallmarks of mental illness is lack of judgment. And lack of judgment meaning people who are mentally ill don't think there's anything going on in them. It's the rest of the world that's crazy. Okay. So you can see how this is a problem for Mr. Schizophrenia who's walking down the middle of the street. Okay. Um, but when that hits somebody who's like a bipolar, that lack of judgment, um, very difficult because you're trying to convince somebody who's highly intelligent who can run rings around you in all kinds of way that, you know what, maybe there's something a little bit amiss and perhaps you need to consider doing something about it. Now, the whole other discussion, whenever we talk about anything on this show, you know is, well, what do we do about treatment? Do we use drugs? Do we use natural therapies? Is it medical? Is it surgical? What is it? And even in bipolar disorder, they they run the gamut. And one of our guests even was a spokesperson for a drug company and then turned around and said, oh, my God, this medicine is horrible. I don't think anybody could use it because it could kill you, okay? It could kill you. Now, you guys have all seen the commercials on TV convincing you that you need this medicine. And this gentleman has actually taken this medicine, and this is why – pharmaceutical ads irritate the mess out of me because they will convince you even when you don't have something that you have it and that their drug will cure whatever it is. So we're going to hear the story um, from one of our guests. He, he has a very interesting bio on his website, which I'm trying to pull up right now because I want to read it because it's just this, this, this guy's a writer and everything. So all his stuff and he's been in PR and all that stuff. So all his his information is just fabulous to look at and entertaining and pulls you in. So 
I'm going to start introducing this gentleman, and then we'll bring him on, and we're going to hear his story. Because one thing that's nice about a story is to hear somebody who came through something, and now here they are talking with you, talking about how they came through it, and here I am, and I'm pretty good now. And he can tell you a story like that. So here's, here, here it goes from the website. He slept only three hours a night. Sometimes he didn't go to bed for days. He was a public relations agent, an art dealer, a hustler, and a forger who made millions. He would fly from Zurich to the Bahamas, then back again to balance out that hot and cold. He learned new languages in a week. He spent his money on wild shopping sprees all around the globe, buying up clothes, paintings, and extravagant gifts for friends. You see, friends, why you would like a guy like this? You see? He gave complete strangers spontaneous gifts of thousands of dollars. Man, I wish I would have known him then. From the cash he kept in his freezer. <laughs> he was moving at breakneck speed, fueling his behavior with drugs and alcohol. After seeing more than eight doctors, he was finally diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Then he was arrested for art forgery and was convicted of fraud. He was sent off to prison. When he was released, he returned home, forced to live in his apartment under house arrest. After two unsuccessful years of experimenting with all different combinations of medications to stabilize his wild mood swings, he opted for intense bouts of, listen to this, electroshock therapy as a last resort. He was temporarily cured. No longer Superman. He was now Electro Boy. And I want to welcome... To Wellness for the Real World, Andy Berman. Andy, are you there? I am right here with my well, very naughty hair. <laughs> well, you know, listen, like I don't know what, what I said is true. People like you just are the life of the party in the world when you're the sickest. Is that uh, how you describe it? Yeah, but, you know, we don't always have it together. It looks like we have it together. But, you know, you made a really good point. I mean, people actually encourage our behavior unknowingly because at work we're really, we're, we're really productive, and outside of work we're a lot of fun. Um, but that's at the height of a manic episode. I mean, you don't necessarily want to be with a bipolar person who's in the midst of a depressive episode. That's not a lot of fun. So is the depression worse in people who are bipolar? Is it worse than if what? you just have regular depressive uh, depression? Well, people that I have known who are bipolar tend to be, let's call them drama kings. And so they're not just depressed. They're dramatic depressed, and it just yeah. I mean, so it, 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 it it tends. I, I'd say you know, it, in my in my case too, it, it it tended to be intensified for sure. Uh, but everything is intense, and like I, I think I write about it in my book, Electro Boy. I mean, everything's in living color. Everything, everything's brighter. Uh, you know, everything's more colorful. You want to consume. You want to. You want to eat. You want to. You know. There's just. There's just so much of the world you want to uh, experiment with all at once. I mean, you can't even make decisions. There's so many things you want to do at once. So tell me, when did you first realize 
that there was something going on, that you were different from everybody else? It might not have been you said, I'm bipolar, but... No, no, no. I I knew probably at about age seven. Really early. What? Really, really early. Sure. I knew something was wrong at seven. I had... I mean, if I were to, you know, be diagnosed today, uh, you know, if, if my parents had taken me to a psychiatrist at seven, eight, or nine, they probably would have, you know, figured out that it wasn't just that I was this, you know, really uh, intelligent, kind of fun, creative kid. I mean, they would have decided that there was really something wrong. And um, at age... Seven. I mean, I was showing early signs of obsessive compulsive disorder. I was extremely. Uh, I, I slept very little. I slept three hours a night. Uh, I would stay up. I would count cars that went by my window. You know, every car was worth one point. Every police car was two points. <laughs> um, an ambulance was three points. I mean, my mind was just going. You know, at 120 miles an hour. It was just really fast in my head. Okay, so today every other kid is giving the diagnosis of attention deficit disorder. How is bipolar different from that? Because yours just sound like you were just really up and buzzing around. And and kids, we don't necessarily think bipolar. I mean, in general, I think today in 2012, you know, with 20% of Americans, uh, you know, living with a mental illness. I mean, I think everybody is diagnosed by psychiatrists because it's just easy to diagnose. That's all you have to do. You diagnose and then you write a prescription. It's a really easy job. Uh, but it's not, I mean, if you, if you want to do a good job and you really want to help people, you get to the core of what's wrong. You, if you believe that medication is the right approach, that's what you do. But in tandem, you, you know, you help somebody out with therapy also, but, you know, we're, we're so quick in the society today to diagnose and to, you know, you know, put somebody on, you know, a medication that you, you know, you just saw on TV last night because that's what we're supposed to do. It's, you know, we're supposed to put a Band-Aid on the mental illness. Well, that's, that's the perfect segue because I get so irritated seeing all these commercials for pharmaceuticals on TV, not just abilify what you had an experience, but all of them um, convince you that they are the answer to whatever woes you. And those who are in the know know that you do not suffer from an abilify deficiency. You do not suffer from a Lipitor deficiency, a statin deficiency, a high blood pressure. Right, you, right. You're not, that doesn't mean you're not incomplete because you don't have abilify in your system. Yet you, they, the, the commercials, and you're in PR – are so yeah. persuasive that you real you believe that I have this disorder and I need that particular medicine. Right, but you know, and, it, and it's also it, it goes both ways. The only nice thing I have to say about the pharmaceutical company companies is that you know all of a sudden you know maybe you know five out of ten commercials you know that you see on TV during a half hour show are pharmaceuticals, uh, but. You know, so what they're doing is they're making us aware of something called mental illness. On the other hand, I, there are two countries in the world, the U.S. and New Zealand, which allow this thing, which is called direct-to-consumer advertising. You know, every time at the end of the uh, advertisement, they say, ask your doctor. Well, you know, why should we go to our doctor and say, hey, 
I saw this great medication on TV, and it looks like it clears up the depression, and it would really make me happy. What do you think about it? You know, I mean, it's just kind of odd. I mean, I wouldn't do the same thing if I, you know, had a, uh, you know, was looking for a cancer medication. I just wouldn't. <laughs> but, but yet and still, you ended up being the spokesperson for Abilify. Now, tell us how you got into that. You obviously used the medicine at one time, believed that it was good, or I would assume you wouldn't speak for it, and then come, came to the conclusion that this is horrible and I'm on my way to death. Well, you, you, you assumed a lot. I assumed. <laughs> so I assumed. I'll, I'll tell you how. I uh, was seeing a doctor in Los Angeles at UCLA, um, and I was on a pretty good regimen at that time for about 10 years. I had been stable for about, yeah, I'd say about, uh, about yeah, almost 10, almost 10 years. Um, and uh, he said to me, you know, I'd love to try something new with you. It's not approved by the FDA for bipolar disorder yet. It's just approved for schizophrenia. So who's going to use it off-label? But uh, let's give it a shot. And at that point, I was thinking, okay, so I'm going to go off a bunch of these drugs. I'm going to try this one drug called Abilify. hasn't been approved yet. It's just waiting to be approved by the FDA. I went on the drug. Um, not more than, I mean, it was pretty soon after, like about a week later, I got a phone call from uh somebody at Bristol Myers Squibb, the maker of Abilify, asking if I'd like to talk about working for them as a spokesperson for bipolar disorder. And I thought, great, I'd love to spread my message. I mean, you know, I've been traveling, talking about Electro Boy for, you know, quite a while. And if a pharmaceutical company wants to use me and send me all around the country doing it, I'll do it. What they didn't tell me was that I was going to also be speaking about a drug called Abilify. Now, I, at the time, I thought, well, that's very odd. I said, because, you know, I, you know, I've just started this drug called Abilify. Oh, great. So there was already this, like, this wonderful connection in place. What I later learned was that my doctor was the medical consultant to Bristol-Myers Squibb. <laughs> you didn't laugh. Well, so these, these I, things are not funny at this point because I'm not surprised. Go ahead. Yeah, so I was on the medication not too long, and then I, I, I told my doctor, this is not working for me. I mean, my side effects are horrible. I uh, My cognitive impairment is terrible. Uh, a woman that I'm working with, uh, my office, one day she walked in, and I had no idea who she was. I didn't know her name. I was just totally, hmm. you know, kind of freaked out by her. Um, I had this horrible agitation called akesthesia, which was one of the side effects, dry mouth. I mean, it was one of the worst, and I had been on 40 drugs before. And what I thought, oh, my God, just put me back in the three drugs I was on. So here I was already out there, you know, on on the road, talking about how great Abilify was. I had signed a contract and... Uh, okay, so let me ask the question. You were on three drugs that seemed to be working for you. 
Yeah. What made you decide to stop what was working for you and try this new drug? A doctor, because we all believe that what doctors tell us is the truth. Okay. I mean, I had tremendous faith in this doctor. He was, you know, a highly esteemed doctor at UCLA. His name is Dr. Mark Fry. I'm not shy about talking about him. I would meet him anywhere. He's scared to death of me. Uh, he's now at the Mayo Clinic where he runs the bipolar. Uh, uh, he runs the bipolar clinic at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, but I believed him. I believe that it was worth giving it, giving it a shot. You know, he said, you know, this is a medication. Where you're not going to be on a drug that's going to cause weight gain. Um, and one of the drugs I was on did cause weight gain. And he said, you're not going to have that side effect on, on this one, um, which was entirely not true. Hmm. Um, this drug has just the same side effects, if not more than others. Uh you know, it's it's just a it's, it's a horrible commercial to listen to when you listen to it. And I put a spoof of this commercial, not a spoof, just my take of it on YouTube, where more than half a million people have I looked at that. it. They never yeah, thought I that, that I would do anything like that. Yes, I it's saw it. A, you saw it. Yeah, it's <laughs> called Billify Kills. I love now, it. Now, I mean, you have to understand how big the pharmaceutical companies are. You know, I mean, yes, I'm a thorn in their side, but that's it. I mean, you know, there'd have to be a million of me. For them to finally say, "Oh, hey, let's you know, let's take this guy seriously." Okay, so now you had all these issues, and one of my questions is, you say, "Well, we believe our doctors," but how do you walk the balance between what your doctor says and what you feel is the right thing? Because I've been practicing in medicine, and I've been around people who just completely who don't know anything, are totally using folklore, and you have to deal with them. And then if something goes wrong with them, they blame you, the doctor, when they didn't do what you asked them to, and they had a poor outcome. So how do we balance this? How would you recommend people balance this? Okay, obviously the doctor that you were dealing with had a major conflict of interest, I would Absolutely say. Absolutely had a but conflict of interest. doctors aren't like that. We don't necessarily – we're not – paid consultants for the drug companies. There are a few people, I was having this discussion today, who have so many conflicts of interest, and these are all the quote-unquote key opinion leaders that we're out there listening to, and they're paid by everybody to say what they say. I used to sit in medical conferences and say, when's the commercial coming, and who are they paid by? Well, I exactly. I mean, this was a doctor who, this, my doctor worked for 11 pharmaceutical companies. I mean, that's what he did. I mean, when I, I I tried to figure out when he had time to see patients, he didn't. He had very few patients. Yeah, but now um, now he's running the clinic at Mayo Clinic. He's running exactly. the Mayo Clinic. Well, see. But what was your, your question was? How did he deal with this? How how could you prevent the situation? Now you said I listened, I trusted my doctor. Now what I'm assuming, I'm, I'm making another big assumption. You're a very bright person that you searched out and found this doctor. No? How did you get to him in the first place? Yeah, I wanted to find out who, who the expert was here in Los Angeles. I had left New York, um, and I wanted to know in Los Angeles who I should see because somebody had to kind of follow this illness as it, you know, you know was progressing and as I was aging. Sure. Um, so I found him, and... Uh, you know, did I do the proper vetting? I thought I did. Um, you know, and the other thing is, 
you know, I mean, I'd say now I would have asked more questions. I would have asked more questions. I would have asked more questions of any doctor. I saw a doctor yesterday, just a regular doctor, a neurologist. I had more questions before than, you know, I've ever had for a doctor. Um, and they were why, why, why? I mean, why do I, why should I do this as opposed to doing this? Why this and why not that? But, uh, you know, I, I, I just think we're a society that, you know, holds doctors in such high esteem that everything they say should be the truth or is the truth. I mean, when I went, when I decided to have electroconvulsive therapy, electroshock therapy, and I had 19 treatments, when I sat down with the doctor who was going to do it, after five minutes, he looked at my case history and he said, you're the perfect candidate for ECT. Now, let's talk about... But I didn't say why. I didn't say why. But here's the thing. ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, is one of those really last resort treatments. A lot of people consider it barbaric. You know, there's lots of fuss about whether it should even be allowed and legal anymore. Yet you have this treatment, you have lots of them, and you say, oh, my God, it changed my life. So you had this experience, you've had experience where the doctor didn't necessarily give you advice, but then you had a doctor recommending that you be shocked, okay? And you said, sure, I'll be shocked. Right. I mean, let's preface it by saying that two things. One is that as far as um, ECT, uh, twice as many people undergo ECT than have their tonsils removed a year in this country, which I think is an amazing statistic. And second, I fear going to the dentist more than I ever feared having electroshock, only because, you know, you're you're totally under anesthesia. Uh, And quite honestly, I mean, what we have in our minds are images of, you know, Jack Nicholson and one floor of the Pooh's nest being shocked. (laughs) So that's the stereotype. That's not the stereotype. That's the stigma that, um, that um, the entertainment industry has put on electroshock, but it really doesn't look like that. You know, I've also seen it being performed. It doesn't look like that. Uh, But yes, do we think of it as barbaric? Absolutely. Um, what did it do for me? Um, it did wonders for me. I had five treatments while I was in the hospital for 10 days, but it only did wonders for me until I relapsed four months later. And then when I relapsed and I went back to having all of my symptoms, I started having one treatment every four weeks, and I had about 14 more treatments which seemed to keep me really stable. Um, the thing is, it's often used for patients who are elder, elderly because they can't wait to find medications to work for them. And, this, and, and ECT does work quickly for some people. Some people, it's, a total, it's just a total failure. Okay. So now you're, you seem to be living a life that's more, let's call it balanced, would you say? Andy? Yeah, I'm right here. Yeah. As, as you seem to be living a life that's more balanced, would you say, as far as your mental status? Absolutely, but I've been living that I've been living that life since my book was published in in O two. Um, do I have ups and downs? Yeah, but they're not ups and downs of bipolar disorder. They're not. I mean, you know, my highs and lows. I mean, my highs were hopping on a, you know, going to JFK, you know, at 81st and Broadway, hailing a cab at four in the morning, going to JFK and seeing when the next flight was to Tokyo. That was my high. Uh, 
not a great city for me, Manhattan or New York. It just wasn't a great city. Um, just because it, it's, you know, what do we call it? The city that never sleeps. Um, and when you're bipolar and you don't sleep, you don't want to be in the city that never sleeps. You know, you just, you get on the train and at, at um, 79th Street and you head down to Times Square. You're headed for a lot of trouble at three in the morning. Yeah, it's always, everybody's always going. So what are you doing currently now? Are you, you're on the I'm avoiding New York. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we have enough people walking down the middle of the street in New York. <laughs> I'm avoiding New York. Uh, no, I am. I mean, never stopped speaking about bipolar disorder. I speak to college audiences. I speak to self-help groups. I speak to psychiatrists who really don't love speaking. I mean, don't really love hearing patients speak for some odd reason. You know, they just don't think that we have anything to add to the conversation about mental illness. But I think when I'm done speaking, you know, I give them a taste of what having bipolar disorder is really all about. Um, you know, it's not just, you know, they need to know exactly what it feels like. They need to know that it's not just about, you know, these cliches, you know, intense highs and intense lows, because it's more than that. I mean, um, anyhow, so well, the rest of your question was, well, what else am what I doing? Do. Yeah, well, well, wait, I got it, I got it. I'm listening to you say, well, psychiatrists don't like to have us talk. Psychologists don't like to hear us talk. Well, I'm going to get some more of those people on. But I want people, I, I think your story is fascinating. I love that you're coming out and telling people, here's what it's like from the inside. Here are some treatments that a lot of people don't talk about and think are bad that I had. Here is what you see on TV every day, and you may not want to use this because it could kill you. And so I commend you for going out there and speaking out against the big pharmaceutical companies and saying, hey, this drug may not. Now, there may be some people that it works for. I, I will say oh, that. Oh, absolutely. But, I mean, there are people that it does work for. This can be incredibly bad for a lot of people, and you need to really start asking questions. So what I would say is to wrap up, people, ask your doctor if they're paid by the drug that they're prescribing. Now, most of the doctors are going to say no because we're not paid off by the drug company. But when you get somebody who's the quote-unquote key opinion leader who's at a big-name institution, you think that they're the know-all, end-all, be-all, and they're the people that are paid by everybody and have the most conflicts of interest. So you need to really question those people but, but it's who also, have made themselves seem like God. But it's also it's also the everyday doctor. I mean, right now in California, Bristol Myers Squibb is uh, has been indicted for allegedly bribing doctors wow. Wow. to write prescriptions for Abilify with cash and Lakers tickets. Wow! I mean, and you know, I mean, there's one doctor who's who's who wrote 53 prescriptions in in one day for Abilify. I don't know how you write 53 prescriptions in one day. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, I, they may, they must know who's bribable though, because I, we didn't, I didn't have that kind of stuff walking. No, no one ever showed up at your door with 
<laughs> with Lakers tickets. Okay. No, well, well, I mean, I I have to time hardly even talk to the people that came in and talked to me. I mean, I have no, no, no. They were, they were, the, they were, and patients didn't like those drug reps either because they got in the way of our seeing doctors. Yeah, well, exactly. I want to go home, so I didn't want to sit and talk to a drug rep. So here, here I am talking on wellness for a real world. Otherwise, I'd be flying around and seeing the Lakers. You see me at courtside. But right. Andy, Andy, I want to thank you for your story, Electro Boy. Great story, very entertaining, and I'm happy to hear that you are doing something wonderful with your life, even though you're not flying back and forth to Tokyo. No, I'm not. I mean, I'm out there, and you know, I was one of the first men to come out to talk about having mental illness, which was really rare. I mean, I, when I was diagnosed, I thought I had a disease that only women had. I didn't know people with bipolar disorder who were men. I only knew of one woman who had written about bipolar disorder. So I figured if I'm, if I'm going to tell my story, and I don't know, you didn't tell your audience this, but, I mean, people are shocked when they read my book, no pun intended, but it is extremely honest, it's extremely raw, it's extremely gritty, uh, and, you know, you've got to be tough to read it, but the illness is not a pretty illness. It's like I don't think you can write a nice story about pancreatic cancer. <laughs> so, anyhow, we appreciate you for sharing Electro Boy, exciting raw, all that other stuff. And we are gonna thank Andy and move on to our next guest, Russell. Yes, we are. Andy, 79th Street and Broadway is my subway stop too, so we're both <laughs> from the same hood. I hear you. <laughs> um, with us now, our next guest uh, was diagnosed himself with bipolar disorder in his late twenties and went on to be uh, medically declared recovered from the illness. He created, with a team of doctors, his own process to approach and overcome bipolar disorder, which he talks about in his book, The Success Guide to Bipolar Disorder. With us now is Scott Farrell. Scott, welcome to Wellness for the Real World. Hi, thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me on tonight. Okay, Scott, here we here goes the, the million-dollar question, and you can talk about this. Doctor's talking about this. Cured? Really? Cured really? Is this in your bipolar mind, or is this true that you are cured? What? Ha, who has declared you cured? What, how do we know whether we're cured? And is there truly hope that it's gone, 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 never to resurface? Tell us. Now, I'm sorry, is this live so uh, pharmaceuticals and congressional people can hear? Because uh, medically, the United States can't be cured unless it's a drug. However, I'm being funny. Uh, yes, I had a uh, yeah, I put together a team of MDs. Here was my reasoning. I'd gone to my psychiatrist about 10 years ago, and he looked at me and he goes, well, you're probably never going to get married. He gave me the list of nevers that, that anyone with a psychological disorder has. And I went home. I couldn't kick the cat. I didn't have one. So I screamed at the walls for a while. And I looked at myself, and I was like, I'm fairly intelligent. I think I'll find a way to beat this. Called some doctors. I said, what do you guys think? And they're like, let's do it. And one of the doctors happened to be one of the top medical doctors from the University of Virginia. And she had moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where I live now. I said, let's do it. I said, the body is a machine. If it's a machine, we can fix it. Okay, we're composed, you know, because naturally I always say a neurotransmitter deficiency or abundance, uh, any adrenal lack of function, vitamin mineral dysfunction, uh, thyroid dysfunction, et cetera. We checked them all. We looked at all the levels, and we were like, okay, let's fix this. And we went through the process, leveled out all my neurotransmitters, my adrenals, uh, my thyroid levels, and looked through everything, and then, bam, no more symptomology. 
Okay, so no, wait, wait, wait. But what, what did you, we were listening to Andy's story about how he was wild and crazy and running around and doing all this stuff. Were you similar to that? Oh, I was off the train. It was like, uh, I always tell people I had Molly Cruz life without the money uh, and the fame. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I look back, people tell me some crazy stories of what I did when I was manic, and and I was a high school basketball coach at the time and very <laughs> successful. So and now, but I, tell you know, me, give us a taste of, you, you say, I created my own system. I created a system to help people get well. I got myself well. Give us a taste of that system because that's what people really want to know. They want to know yeah. electroshock is one thing. There's a Abilify out there. There's all these other types of lithium, other types of medications that are out there. But you said, I create, I have this system that's different. What is it? Give us a taste of that. Yeah. It's got common sense. I, uh, my background is physics, and I'm a physics guy, and my philosophy was energy. All right? Our body is composed of energy. Our body is a system. All systems can have a system of working. So I went to the doctor and I said, what's the technology right now for t- testing your transmitter function? All right, let's do the test. What's the technology now? We, we went with the latest at every single test we could find as far as testing the body. And we got all the components as far as where my serotonin levels, epinephrine, dopamine levels were, bam, 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 where my vitamin nutritional levels were, where my, my adrenal level was, where my thyroid level was. And we balanced them. And we balanced those. We balanced my life. Wow. Okay. So what you're saying is you you found uh, biochemical imbalances within your system that when you corrected them, it, quote, unquote, cured your bipolar disorder. Well, it sure made my life a lot easier. Uh, And then I went back to the doctor, had the levels, and the MD said, hey, man, you don't have bipolar disorder anymore. And this was about four years ago. Because go enjoy your life. You know, I, I told my wife before I did the interview, I'm sitting on an island right now with my wife. We celebrate our third anniversary tomorrow. I mean, life's wonderful. So you have a book, The Successful Guide to Bipolar Disorder. Does it lay out all these type of things that you did? That is allowed by the FDA and attorneys, yes. Um, <laughs> it, 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 you know how that goes. You're, you're an MD. Uh, you know, since I'm not a medical doctor, I walk around through the word cure because I can't. Uh, I can't tell my own story. And I tell people, I was not exactly a big trust guy, especially with the medical community, so I did my own research. I am a research junkie. So I do my research. I contact every medical professional I can because what I tell people, solving an illness is impossible without a medical doctor. It is impossible. You have to have a medical assistant. You got from the med school, I didn't. But you got to find the best ones to do it. And when you find the cohesive group, you go do it. And so myself and the doctor wrote this book. So I think after listening to Andy's story about his issues with uh, some of the health professionals, some of the doctors that he intersected with, one of the differences with you is you found doctors who didn't necessarily have the conflict of interest and were open enough open-minded enough to be able to work with you. Is that so? Oh, yeah. And I, I make sure of that. It's funny, the doctor that wrote the back of my book actually won't allow pharmaceutical rep in her office. Good for her. Uh, so she's, she's funny. Uh, she's a wonderful person. She's actually now uh, got a series on PBS. Uh, not psychological disorder. It's got something to do with, with other functions of the body. Good. So... 
So, Scott, if you had to give advice, one one sentence, a piece of advice to people with bipolar disorder, what would that be? Uh, make a decision. Make a decision to be well. Stop focusing on the illness. We're not an illness no more than we are diabetes or we're heart disease or cancer. We're people that have issues that can be biologically fixed if we understand the science behind it and put the medical team that we need behind us. Okay. So I, I just make the decision. Uh, stop focusing on the illness, focus on being well. You know, it's interesting because everything we talk about, the answer is always the same. The focus on how do you be well. Oh, yeah. and, and I want to say again at this point in the show, everybody's going to find that differently. So how Scott found it is different from how Andy found it. And in saying that, we actually have another guest that has another approach to helping people with bipolar. And I want to hear about that because I try to get all kinds of strategies for people to get well and to grasp everything good in life. So, Russell, tell us about our next guest. Well, indeed. Uh, with us now we have uh, Baltimore's best acupuncturist, so voted in 2010. Uh, he is an acupuncturist. He practices oriental medicine. And he's even an animal acupuncturist who uh, treated a pit bull rescued from Michael Vick. Um, with us now <laughs> is Tom Ingenio. Tom, you're on Hi, the you real world. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Now, why just go and mention my favorite my favorite football player? But we won't talk about that tonight on the show. <laughs> You're a New Yorker, and the Eagles are <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I am, I'm a native from the Philadelphia area, and oh. so I, I'm an Eagles fan. I don't like the Giants. I'm here hanging out in New York with my new husband. And so now I got to deal with the Giants, but I got to. I'm a, I'm a By Michael the way, Vick. guys, if you're listening to us live tonight, uh, Michael Vick uh, is interviewed on CNN tonight. As soon as we sign off, well, I mentioned that <laughs> on Piers Morgan. Thank you. <laughs> I, I try to give information. Oh, beautiful. Okay, but let's get to the the issue at hand: acupuncture and bipolar disorder. Now, I always go out looking for complementary areas of treatment. But when we said acupuncture, I said acupuncture, bipolar, give me a break. Go ahead, Tom. You're you're you know about this. You're one of the best out there. Acupuncture and bipolar. Tell us what we need to know. Well, you know, here's here's the thing, and, and a lot of people look at acupuncture uh as just a, a physical medicine for for say musculoskeletal pain. But uh they've shown in studies and quite a few studies actually, uh most of them coming out of Japan that after about 10 or 15 minutes with acupuncture needles in your body, uh, we start seeing changes in the autonomic nervous system. And, and the autonomic nervous system is your fight-or-flight response versus your rest-and-digest response. A lot of people, even though they may have some neurotransmitter imbalance, are also stuck in that fight-or-flight a little bit too much. Uh, that is definitely uh, what we see with, with the manic side of <clears throat> bipolar disorder, uh, and in a lot of ways, it's what we see with the depressed side as well. We can say things, uh, a lot of times they talk about adrenal function burnout, uh, where there's just not enough adrenaline anymore and, and you fall into a depression. Uh, acupuncture has been shown to reset that by moderating uh, that fight-or-flight response and rest-and-digest response. After about 10 or 15 minutes, uh, you'll see a, a huge cascade of effects that will happen. Uh, including just an overall sense of well-being, uh, vasodilation uh, throughout the 
entire body, which means you're getting more blood flowing throughout the body, which means you're picking up more oxygen, more nutrients out of the food that you're eating through your uh, intestines and stomach. And then it's circulating through your body, allowing your body to heal itself, basically, getting more nutritious blood with more oxygen in it to all those tissues. You also see changes in brain waves. Uh, You'll switch from the mental chatter and focused brain waves into the deep sleep and meditative brain waves. Okay, wait. Uh, I have a question. Oh, sorry? I have a question. Okay. So I'm hearing you quote all these things, and I'm saying, are there any research studies that are, let's call it peer-reviewed, that support what you're saying about acupuncture? Uh, Yes, yes, they are. And and like I said, a a few of them are out of uh, Japan. Uh, we don't see too many in the U.S. It's not an area that really is is familiar with it. And quite honestly, uh, you're saying peer-reviewed journals. Uh, I believe your first guest just mentioned that he was given a drug-off label, which is <laughs> peer-reviewed. And second of all, I, I believe you're a surgeon. When when has there been a you know a double-blind placebo-controlled study on any surgery? There 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 have been some interesting studies with surgery where they've done sham surgery to see if people would get a response, but that's not what the show is about. But um, I'm, I think what people want to know is they're not getting the snake oil so that what you're saying, I mean, I'm saying peer-reviewed, but people want to know they're not just getting snake oil. It's not just because you say so. Well, that there's some real know, something that can be measured is my question. I will point to two websites or two groups where you can look and see quite a bit of information. And you're not going to see the studies, but if you do some deeper research, you can. First of all, the National Institute of Health, the NIH, uh, uses or, or at least uh, has mental disorders uh, listed as use for um, acupuncture. The second one is World Health Organization. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so the World Health Organization has about 43 different categories, and some of them are uh, mental illness, including bipolar disorder, anxiety, depression. I'm not saying we're curing anything. I, I, you know, I think acupuncture is one of the few uh, medicines that will be honest, saying that you know, really, if somebody's going to get better, it's going to be the patient. And hopefully, what we're doing there is trying to facilitate a change where that patient can heal. Sure. Uh, we're not claiming to cure anything. Well, I want to say, and uh, you know, my, we do this every week. I ask all my guests to submit an article or a blog and put this type of information in there and the people we always send it out on social media and we want people to get good information so a lot of people who are listeners are used to the traditional western approach they would rather take the abilify over doing anything else because we've quite honestly been brainwashed we really have been brainwashed yeah so we want to. We need to have somebody else who's going to show us another way, and in a, in such a way that it's it's more trustworthy. So the reason why I ask about can we show something that's quote unquote peer reviewed mm-hmm. is because most people will when you get to now. I know there's a lot of people who are paid off, but in acupuncture, mm-hmm. it's pretty hard to pay people off because there's no drug that's going to make millions of dollars. Um, well, you know, and that's, and that's part of the, uh, I guess, the sincerity of the medicine. I, you're you're looking at something that's been conservatively around uh, 2,700 years. And the Chinese are, are very pragmatic people. If something doesn't work, they're going to cut it loose. They're not going to keep going with it. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, patients return time and time again. So it's not just, uh, you know, a, a, a one-trick pony, and it's not just a, a quick fix. It's something that, uh, we look to work with patients for a long time, uh, 
about balancing everything in their life, not just one specific illness. Yes, and I got to say that one of my the favorite things I've ever had done was the acupuncture. Now the acupuncture was a little severe, and I thought I was going to hit the guy, but oh my gosh, the acupuncture is like I don't I don't know what they do. I don't know if it's real or not, but I feel good, and I'm going back for some more. This is better than the spa. So, <laughs> doctor, and, and that is part. <laughs> Doctor Tom, I want to thank you for being on Wellness for the Real World, and thank you for having me. We need to. We're going to finish up with somebody who specializes in the brain, with some letters behind their name that maybe Electro Boy might not work, but we're we're going to enjoy listening to her and and a woman at that. Save the best yes, plan. we've not uh, we've not uh, listened to the the conventional Western uh, community medical community yet on this issue, and for that we have with us Amy Lynn Dworkin from Colorado Springs, Colorado, a psychotherapist who specializes in treating bipolar disorder. Amy, thanks for being with us on Wellness for the Real World. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Okay, Doctor Amy. You've listened to all the guests. You've listened to all the guests. You've listened to the differing opinion. First, I'm going to give you a chance to say just gut what you would like people who are dealing with bipolar to hear from somebody who's a psychotherapist. Sure. And first, let me hop out of the doctor category, if I might. Sure. Um, yeah, being, I'm a psychotherapist. I agree with a lot of, um, like Andy, um, Scott, the uh, patients that I work with, I really hear a lot of the same things, and that is managing the bipolar through more natural remedies. Um, Scott had success with that. Andy had had some complications with the Abilify. Uh, What I do with my patients is I really work with them to First, accept the illness. First, really understand and accept that they are not necessarily the bipolar condition, and I think Scott brought that up. Um, They are individuals who suffer or struggle with the bipolar illness. So reframing it in that category is where I begin. And then next, to increase self-awareness, I think is critical because Those with bipolar have the extreme highs, the extreme lows. So becoming aware of when you're high and when you're low. Um, A lot of times when people are severely manic, they they don't know. It just runs away with them. And so learning to monitor your moods, um, learning to understand the mood swings, and then bringing in coping strategies to help curb some of those. As a professional, have you noticed, and we're talking about across a lot of people who have it versus one person given their experience, have you noticed, you said the manic runs away from them, but do they across the board a lot of times know that it's coming on? Because you're saying being more self-aware, which means they know it's coming on, which means that they can switch it somehow. So what have you seen in practice? Yeah, what I've seen is you can gain self-awareness so that you can become more cognizant of the mania as it begins and as it escalates. 
So you're right. At first, there's this um, incongruence. People a lot of times don't know that they're becoming manic. It runs away from them, so to speak. But in therapy, what I do is first I teach about the highs and lows. Um, What happens when you're feeling good? What happens when you're running from here to there or and you know like the others mentioned too manic is not necessarily bad there's a lot of good that comes with manic a lot of creativity um, a lot of productivity which you'd mentioned employers appreciate but just helping (laughs) the patient become aware of that and from there that self-awareness as that increases eventually I see does transpire into some ability to not necessarily control it, but at least bring in coping strategies Okay, that at that point can help them, you know, taper the, the mania so that they don't crash. Okay. So now one of the hallmarks of what I heard from Andy and Scott and Tom was that there tends to be an imbalance. We can talk about a chemical balance, an electrical imbalance, an imbalance of the yin and yang, or however we want to do it, but there tends to be this imbalance. And I know one of the strategies that you help with is getting people back in balance using some of the quote-unquote natural ways to do that. So tell us about that. Mainly that involves self-care. Just real basic techniques is where I begin with nourishment, um, making sure you're eating right and nourishing your body, um, getting the proper food groups, and that may sound too simple, but it is so critical um, for our balance is to make sure we're monitoring our nutritional needs, vitamins, um, and other natural remedies, but specifically with vitamins, fish oils, omegas, omega-3, 6, and 9 are excellent neurochemical stabilizers. Um, And we've talked a lot about Eastern versus Western, and here in the U.S., we don't get near enough fish and omega. And a lot of the chemical imbalances that I think one of your guests said 20% of Americans suffer from some sort of mental illness, well, a lot of it is due to nutritional chemical or nutritionally induced sort of chemical imbalances that can be corrected simply through meeting your basic needs for nourishment, you know, supplementing with vitamins, um, so things you, along those lines, exercise. Are you recommending to the clients that come into you that they go and get all these different levels checked? I know I was one time at my chiropractor, and guess what? Me, who takes fish oil, she said, your, your omegas are low. You need to take it. Because, you know, if you don't take the right formulation and everything like that, me, who eats fish and takes fish oil, low. So do you recommend that your clientele go get these checked? Oh, sure. And I always ask, when was your last physical? And I do believe that everybody should have a complete physical once a year. Hopefully that would involve blood and checking different levels, especially if I'm dealing with those who struggle with, say, bipolar or depression or anxiety. It is also critical that they have um, a doctor or psychiatrist who can um, check levels And I do believe in, I think it was Andy who mentioned the tandem sort of approach, Um, especially with bipolar, there are chemical imbalances that do require medical intervention or medical management. I'm not 
opposed to that, I think it has its place. I do believe that there are a lot of doctors, like you guys have pointed out, who abuse that. However, a lot of times a match between psychotherapy and um, medical management is ideal for at least managing the bipolar one or the more uh, severe symptomology of the depression, the mania, especially when the depression is very, very severe. Yes. Well, Mm -hmm. I want to thank Dr. Amy Lynn Jorkin for giving us a good (laughs) wrap-up of bipolar and kind of smoothing it out a little bit because, you know, I can get excited too (laughs) with the whole thing. And I want to thank Electro Boy Andy Berman, Tom Ingenino. How do I – Russell's going to have to come on and pronounce it. Ingenio. Ingenio. You know, he told me before the show – now forgive me, Tom. Ingenio. I I thank you on behalf of Tom. Yes, thank you. So (laughs) – let me just say, look for, go, you know, on the Twitter feed, you will always see me, Dr. Veronica IMD, tweeting. I like to tweet my guest blogs, and I know this is a very vociferous group of people who will send them in, and we can get more out there about wellness for the real world, bipolar, and all the other great things in the world. So join us again next week on Wellness for the Real World. I love you guys. Thank you. Mm-hmm.